Welcome to Space Flower NBA Podcast. My name is Connor Geelan. And I'm Connor Flannery. And this is our 44th official episode. Today we're talking about our early pleasant surprises and early red flags of this NBA season. What we mean by pleasant surprises, things that we weren't expecting going into the season, and it's been really like positive, big things. This player surprised us, this team surprised us. We didn't expect that this would be going so well for someone. And then our red flags is like, alarm bells go off in your brain as an nba fan it's just like, as in like way too early reactions as in 10 games in like wow this player sucks or wow this player is very good and yeah and that surprised us as in like going into the season no one was talking about that and red flags negative it, it seems like something's wrong there yeah all right so starting off with the positive surprises the most obvious one the most hyped up one so far is probably kendrick nunn and tyler hero from the miami heat um I just want to start off by saying, like, Kendrick Nunn is 24 years oh, yeah, old. Yeah, you hate this. I want, I just, like, I, I think it's important to remember, like, Kendrick Nunn is already older than Devin Booker. That's true. Like, sure, Kevin Kendrick Nunn is having a great rookie year, but he is old enough to be, like, a fifth-year NBA player. <laughs> like, so, so, as... As excited as Heat fans might be, he could and they're be receiving a max contract right now. <laughs> <laughs> like, like there, there is some worth to like the hype around how good he is playing. But at the same time, like he's not going to get much better than he is right now. So, do you think his ceiling is just this play? Do you do you think his ceiling is even lower than this? Is this like a hot streak? Because right too now he's averaging say. like it's, seventeen, eighteen. It's too early to say. Like, could he keep up seventeen, eighteen for like another few years in the NBA? Like, I think, I think maybe, but. Don't expect him to be a 25-point-per-game scorer in three years because he's, like, he's not, a, not like, an 18-year-old, I, I don't think people 19-year-old are, rookie. I don't think people are saying that. I don't think they're giving him that much hype, but it's just, mm-hmm. like, this but guy's undrafted. The idea that he's a rookie is just, like, it's, like, a misconception, yeah. I guess. Do you think um, he could win Rookie of the Year? Could he win Rookie of the Year? I mean, he's, he's definitely, like, in the conversation right now. Yeah. I think that he is on pace to probably slow down a little bit. I think he, like, got off to a really hot start, but I think, like... Jimmy Butler also didn't play for the first few games. So I think that we'll see, like, the Heat are right now preaching this idea of, like, we don't really have, you know, like, uh, like one, two, three options. We're just going to, like, let whoever's feeling it score. But I think I, that I think that's I think a good, start, I think that's that's a good a, environment to have. It's a great environment when you've up, got, though. yeah, exactly, when you've got young guys to sort of, like, find themselves in. But I would also expect as the season progresses and Jimmy Butler sort of, like, really comes to his role as, like, the star player of the Heat instead of, like, the third, fourth option in the 76ers. Once he starts to figure that out, you're going to see Jimmy Butler being, like, a 23-point-per-game scorer and Kendrick Nunn maybe being more like a 15, 16-point-per-game scorer instead of 17, 18. That's still very good. Still very good. For, is for it rookie of the year? Undrafted. Is it, it going to be the rookie of the year over John Morant, who's currently averaging, like, 20 and 6? Like, I don't think so. That means so good. <laughs> yeah. Um... Again, that that could be a positive surprise into it in itself, but at the same time, we both predicted John Moran for rookie of the year, year. so, so like, that's not, that's not really yeah. Um, Tyler Hero, like I've been saying, that's my <laughs> that's my father right there. I've been saying it. <laughs> the biological father's list. Tyler Hero was on it. Um, I watched that episode. Um, yeah, I've, I've just been very happy because we saw all of it in the preseason, but he's been carrying it over at a pretty decent rate. Because similar to Kendrick Nunn, I feel like the thing with Kendrick Nunn that I don't think it's a fluke mm-hmm. is that. It's not even like he's making like contested threes, which admittedly he is, but it's also he can just make catch and shoot threes, and he's just like very, very good at getting to the rim when he wants to. And that's not even something. Just, that, wait, just to clarify, that you're talking about Tyler here, not Kendrick Nunn. Right? I'm talking about both. You're talking about both. I'm okay, talking about yeah. both, especially Kendrick Nunn in terms of like he can do both. He and that that like you don't have a hot game and suddenly just get to the rim all the time. That's it's not like oh shots are falling it's like no that's your handle it's you can dribble the ball like mm-hmm. that that's not something that goes hot and cold typically in the nba or really just in basketball and with tyler hero it's just he he's one of those players he can just fit anywhere because all he all he does is he's super tall decent defender and he can just catch and shoot and he runs off screen super well he reminds me of kyle guy maybe it's just because they're both tall and white and can shoot but basically kyle guy of virginia he won Mm -hmm. uh final four mvp this year i watched a video on how he runs off screens makes it so effective and he creates so much space and tyler harrow is the same way just he creates so much space and is a shot maker when it comes down to it tyler hero is one of those guys who has the scoring gene he does at least 10 games in and I, I think there's a lot more to be excited about with Tyler Hero than Kendrick Nunn because Tyler Hero, once again, is not 24 years old and he's already putting up similar numbers. And, and I think that 
he's doing it in a way where like he has proven very much that he has the ability to to be like the kind of guy like you said that's going to run off of screens and almost play like a JJ Redick role. I love to talk about JJ Redick coming off screens, but it's but, different because he he, but he can, can also too. exactly, but he can also do the thing where like, he's like he he sizes you up and then hits like a step back like in and out three on you. Yeah, like, and I think that he's like decent at creating his own shot. I think that like is very valuable. Yeah, and, and I think the Heat is the perfect place for for him and Kendrick Nunn to sort of develop those abilities. So I think that positive positive surprises. You can't really talk about that without mentioning those two names. Um, moving on, Aaron Baines in the Suns. And we say Aaron Baines because, yeah, of course, Devin Booker, he's going to be good. And everyone's really talking about Ricky Rubio as well. With this list, we're trying to go a bit less mainstream. Of course, we had to mention the Heat with yeah. the two rookies, but we're trying to go a bit less mainstream. So let's talk about the Suns, but let's talk about what's the big difference. Do you think it's Aaron Baines? Because I personally, I feel like people aren't talking enough about Monty Williams. I feel like that if you have if you lose your second best player probably in DeAndre Ayton, mm-hmm. and this has been like five coaches in six years or something like that yeah for the Phoenix Suns and this is the first year where they are one actually playing defense they look like they have a pulse out there playing defense mm-hmm. and two it's just ball movement shot making ability quality of shots that's better and I feel like that all falls on the coach so I know you're a big Aaron Baines fan of course I am too because he's the best center in the NBA <laughs> however I think that a lot of that has to fall on Ramondi Williams he came from the 76ers great organization under Britt Brown and I just think that has been maybe the biggest surprise of the season one the Suns being for good sure. and for me if I was to put that onto someone I would say Monty Williams yeah I, I it's just like when we saw DeAndre Ayton go down for 25 games due to suspension, I was like, all right, as if the Suns weren't already going to be bad, <laughs> like, here we go again. Um, so I I think that a lot of the credit has to go, obviously, to Devin Booker. Like, if you look on, if you look at, like, the way their offense plays when he's on the court versus where the where, when he's off the court, it's like... It's ridiculous. Day and night. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it, it, he, he makes the Suns single-handedly into, like, a top five offense in the year in the in the league this year, whereas like they're probably the worst offense in the league without him on the on the court. Um, but then like I just say Aaron Baines because like when DeAndre Ayton went down, it was like all right, like what are they going to do at center? And, and it everyone, wasn't everyone was talking about Frank Minsky. Yeah, it wasn't like it, it wasn't like everybody immediately thought like oh well they've got Aaron Baines they're going to be fine. Everybody was like yikes they're going to be they're going to have Frank Kaminsky and Aaron Baines. But like little did we know like for the first five games of the season like Aaron Baines was out playing Nikola Jokic <laughs> like just a wonderful sentence to I don't say. I don't know if you could actually like like if you looked at points per game alone and like then yeah but like it's just it's just like it's it's pretty exciting the idea that Aaron Baines is actually adding a lot to what this team does not only because he just is like a tenacious guy on the on the boards on defense but also like for some reason he's got this weird like three-pointer shot where he just doesn't jump but he takes like one massive lunge inside the arc and if you leave him (laughs) if you leave him wide open like he can knock it down and so just having that where like if you leave him wide open like somebody has to come contest it it's actually like opening up a lot of different stuff on the perimeter for the suns um so aaron main's a really weird one but i actually think he deserves a lot of credit for what the suns are doing and if you see him and ricky rubio they just one they bring a funky dad bag uh, talks about as they're actually an adult in the room whereas <laughs> everyone else are just children so mm-hmm. one these are uh, ricky rubio and aaron bates are adults in the locker room whereas some others may not have been in the past and two they just do everything right they're the epitome of like veterans and no one could have predicted how much of an impact that has had whether it's defending especially Ricky Rubio has been phenomenal on defense with the little things I just recently watched a video by MDJ about breaking down the Suns Ricky Rubio has been phenomenal on defense this year team defense and individual and also you talk about Aaron Baines the man just he's a box out machine he reminds me of like Enos Cantor just mm-hmm. with his level of rebounding and tenacity out there right now and so good and job Suns <laughs> I think that like that was kind of true on the on the Celtics last year. Aaron Baines played some really big minutes for them, at, like when Al Horford was on the court. And I'm not sure he got enough credit for that. And so the loss of Aaron Baines from the Celtics was 
pretty significant. Like in addition to the loss of like those other guys, not many people were talking about Aaron Baines, but we're seeing right now on the Suns how impactful he can be when he's the starter. Yeah. So, all right. So next up, we got Luca, Chris Stapps, and the Mavericks. This one is less less surprising, I guess, than the than the Suns because like the Mavericks, we were expecting to be like a fringe playoff team. What we weren't expecting was for them to be like six and three right now. I think I think they're six and three. Yeah. And it's mainly a production of the two stars. Well, I, I mean, there was that one night where they had nine guys score in double digits. And that Shout was, out to Jalen Brunson. And <laughs> you were tweeting insane during that game. I was watching that game, and I just like, the, the bench was doing more than the starters. It was like, they had like five guys in double figures before Luca and Kristaps got into double figures, which was like mind-blowing. Um, and this man hits, it wasn't hits even, up the group chat. Like, <laughs> Jalen Brunson. I'm like, oh my gosh, did, did Jalen go for like 30, 40 points? No, nah, oh Jalen Brunson had like 11 then, points. I, I checked this out. He's like 13, 3, and 4. I'm like, what? what is... I I don't know. Like, if, if, you, if you're watching Jalen Brunson play and you and you are as excited about him as I am... That Villanova bias. Hit me up on Twitter. Hit me up in the DMs. Like, <laughs> at Space it's, to Floor. It's not even... It's just like... I just like the way he plays. I just yeah. I'm I like I like watching him play because because he played for Nova. Um, and I guess the other surprise besides like the depth is just one. Kristaps looks pretty good. I I, I don't yeah. think that, I don't think that's very the, surprising. The fears the fears that he like wasn't going to be the same player like should pretty quickly be like disappear. I, I don't I don't think they should disappear yet. I, I think no, it's just and, give it time. But I think the main takeaway and the main surprise right now is Luka Doncic is arguably a top fifteen player in the league. And he's he's an all star. He's a lock for an all star right now. I mean, yeah. I mean, if he keeps it up, he's an all star for sure. Um, top like, fifteen player I, in the I, league. I would, like, he's top, making his case. I would give him top twenty without a doubt. And I, when I first heard, I'd have to look at like who else is going to be at like you know eighteen yeah, know. and nineteen and whatever. I know, but, but when when I first heard the headline, I was like, what? No, he's like he's like twenty twenty one. But like, I I went down the list. I'm like, wow, I can't yeah. really name like sixteen guys better than Luca. And right. th- that's crazy. So I, I'm super excited about him. I was a little bit off the hype bandwagon about Luca during his uh, rookie year, just because I don't know, just mainstream. But like, the, it, it was it's it's so fun to watch, and I'm very excited about him. Next next surprise, I guess it, it's a pleasant one <laughs> if we're talking about the player in Malcolm Brogdon. But it's also kind of a red flag because the Pacers, just as a team, they started off like one and three or something like that, and they lost to the Cavs pretty badly recently. And so I'm like, where does this team lie? Are they horrible without Victor Oladipo? What's the deal? But guess why they're six and four? Malcolm Brogdon. Malcolm Brogdon. I called this so much. I've been, you did okay, call it. So and so I, in our day-to-day lives, I think I bring up the fact that I called Malcolm Brogdon would be really good, I would say once a day. I'll say once a day, like at least at, at, at least. lunch or over text for sure. For like sure. at least one, like just someone says to the chat, like, Oh, Malcolm Brogdon had like 30 and 10. And then I just uh, like, it's imagine just, not thinking he was most improved. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, just like you mentioned the name Malcolm Brogdon and we have like a mental connection over the fact that like, I thought he wasn't going to be yeah, a shot creator. Or he's totally going to win like, most improved. He, I called that he was going to be a playmaker. I was like, Malcolm Brogdon could totally yeah, get eight, so nine I mean, assists. I don't think that it's a red flag at all that the Pacers got off to a slow start where they were one and three because, like, I'm not sure the Pacers were even expecting Malcolm Brogdon to come out <laughs> and have, like, 13 assist games on top of scoring, like, 25 points. It's so crazy. And he's been pretty efficient while doing it, too. And it's just, I'm telling you, man, the, the ball so, handling and the passing is totally there from Malcolm so I, Brogdon. I have been awakened from... You've been awakened. ...from Malcolm Brogdon's so, sleepness. So who was right? You were right. And who was wrong? I was wrong. On on Malcolm Brogdon. <laughs> on Malcolm Brogdon. He's going to win most improved. I mean, as a I semi dark right horse, now. as a semi dark right horse candidate, I no, he was a dark horse candidate going into it. You were the only person I know who said Malcolm Brogdon seriously for most improved player uh, that, that I that I saw. Yes, because like everyone was he, arguing, it was that, like he was too good last year to be most improved this year. But he had that high ceiling, if, if man. You, he if you predicted, ceiling. if you predicted that Malcolm Brogdon was going to be like a twenty three point per game, five assists and like not five rebounds and nine assists guy this year or something like that, like. Big props to you. I don't know if that's actually what he's averaging. I just made that up. But well, thank you, <laughs> thank you for the props. <laughs> All right, next up, PJ oh, Washington. One more thing, you 
I hate you so much. You, he drafted Malcolm Brogdon in our fantasy league after after the season started. We started a few days later, so there was like everyone like had played like everyone in. had played yeah. three games, and this. I I hate guy. you so much. This guy, he drafted Malcolm Brogdon like right before me. It was like it was like we were like three picks apart from <laughs> it, each yeah, other. Yeah, it was like, like it was such a meme pick too. Just, just like but, all caps in the chat, like why? Yes. I I was. My mouth dropped when I saw that you picked yeah. him. I was furious because it would, and it was like I had to go, I had to go like down looking for him because even on like the fantasy thing, he wasn't like you know as high as I took him like anywhere close, right? I took him at like fiftieth or something like that, and he was that down at like a hundred and tenth yeah. or something, um, just because like from before the season he was not ranked that high. I was I but, was so upset. I mean it's and working I was, out for I was me so, so far. I was so mad at you. And <laughs> well, I don't know, we'll see. We're, we're like the two best teams in our fantasy league so far, I would say. Shout out. But I, it, it was so upsetting. And I, I kept telling him if we had done this draft right before the season started, exactly. I would I would have stolen him in the, like the eighth round. Yep. Okay. PJ Washington. PJ Washington. I don't know if there's much to say about this. I like like, the Hornets aren't the worst team in the league, and, and a lot of that has to go on P.J. Washington's and shoulders. the man can shoot. The man can defend pretty well. Uh, I was watching in a funny dive back video, and he compared him to if Paul Millsap was drafted today. And that, like, he had Paul Millsap tendencies where he's, like, he's pretty good at everything, can rebounds, rebounds okay, scoring. He, he kind of is, like, a naturally pretty good scorer, but he can also shoot threes. And he kind, of, right. he kind of lit the world on fire by just dropping, like, 20-something in his debut, uh, making, like, seven threes. Um, I, I don't know if there's much to say, but I think that I did not expect P.J. Washington to be a legit factor in the NBA this early. Are we calling him a power forward? Yeah. That's sort of what he's listed as? Yeah. Like, kind of embodies what the modern big is supposed to look like, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah. So, it's exciting. Um, Dwight Howard. Okay, I think this is a little overhyped, but I still I, agree. I still think that he will be a peripheral uh, candidate for six man of the year. That might be a little bit of is a hype. he is he not starting? I don't think so. I mean they they have they have what well, one they have Javale two Anthony Davis plays a lot of minutes. In, like some minutes at center, and he kind of is the center. And I think especially in the playoffs, Dwight Howard. Is gonna come off the bench because Anthony Davis is going to start at center. I don't know though, like because I think that the Lakers are gonna do everything in their power to please Anthony Davis, and part of doing that is telling Anthony Davis that if he wants to play power forward, he will play power forward. But he he said in the play he said that in the playoffs he will play more center. You're right. Dwight Howard hasn't started a single game yet. Yeah. So six man of the year candidate potentially. I'm not sure that his stats are going to jump off the page enough. And people are getting excited about it because it's Dwight Howard. Yeah. If it was any other center in the league, it would be sort of like, so like no what? one would notice because he's averaging like six well, points per game. So what? But what do you mean? I like, like I, it, I don't know. He's serviceable. It's a thing. Yeah, I just I don't think that he's going to end up as a six man of the year candidate because. And, but I'm, I'm saying the reason it's a positive surprise is because it's Dwight Howard. For sure. But that's sure. but that's phenomenal. Yeah. Like going into this, I was like. Why? Why is this the thing? This is like I'm when more, the Lakers signed uh, like Michael Beasley. Like, like why, I agree. Why? I agree with him as a positive surprise because like most people were doubting him as like being anything legit. Um, and the, and the I guess the biggest thing is like he's not demanding post ups. Yeah. He's just yeah. sort of like going in the, with the flow. He's of it acting and like a normal NBA center. You see him on the bench like getting hype yeah, over like good. everybody else and, scoring. But, and, here's the reason why that's the case. I'm I'm almost positive mm-hmm. because. When you see, like, in teams of the past, like, the Hawks and the Hornets, he, he's still like, man, I'm Dwight Howard. Like, they, this is my, I'm Dwight Howard. Yeah. But when you're playing on a team with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, you can't, you can't, like, justify, because you know, it's like, well, these guys are each taking 20 shots a game and mm-hmm. are taking the final shots of the game, so. And it's also humbling not to start. Like, looking at his yeah, basketball yeah, yeah, reference yeah. page, last year he started nine games. The year before, for Charlotte, he started, or he started nine out of the nine games he played. The year before that, started 81 of the 81 games he's played. The last time, like, he's he started every game of his entire career that he's played in, I think. Yeah, I'm yeah. Not, I think that's that contributes to him, and I think that... He, like, now when talking about, like, future playoff series, I bring up, I will bring up Dwight Howard as a conversation piece, saying, well, they do have some rim protection and, and like, rim running, and they'll have two serviceable centers in, like, 
McGee, mm-hmm. I guess Anthony Davis and, and Dwight Howard. I guess the most surprising thing, I guess that why he's uh, why he's a positive surprise is the fact that he can't shoot is not hurting the Lakers at all. It's just it's just not like well, I mean like they're getting buckets with Dwight Howard on the court and without. But centers not being able to shoot does not hurt teams that have a lot of shooting. I don't think the Lakers have a lot of shooting. That's the yeah, thing. It's I, like, I, I like going into this season, nobody was saying like, well, the Lakers have enough shooting, so Dwight Howard won't matter. It won't matter. It's like. Well, why wouldn't you get like a stretch big? Um, all right, Pascal Siakam and the Raptors. You have some apologizing to do, like I did for Malcolm Brogdon, and okay. that you said before the season the Raptors would not be a playoff team. I did say that <laughs> because right now they're seven and two for frame of reference. Okay, I don't think they're going to finish as a top four seed still. Not top four? No, I had them at six, so like that would still make me more right than you. <laughs> just, just want to put it out there okay but, but I, like uh, are could the bucks pass them out yeah probably bucks are totally gonna are the celtics gonna stay where they are yeah maybe are the sixers probably gonna like repass out the the raptors maybe but like okay are the heat gonna pass them out probably not are the page gonna pass them out probably not nets so so I, I see them as probably finishing as four. I see them finishing at like five the, or six. The Nets are four and five right now. The Nets are sub five hundred. Like they have the same record as the Cavs. Like, okay, they're, they're the Nets are a better team than the Raptors. Without Kevin Durant? Yes. I, st- I stick by that statement. Have you been watching the Raptors? I've been watching extended highlights. The Nets are on TV. I don't know. Uh, you're wrong about that. Like just putting it very simply, you're wrong about the fact that the Nets are a better like, I feel team like than they, the Raptors. I feel like they have very serviceable role maybe, players. Maybe without maybe without Kyle Lowry. Season. Like, but but at least when Kyle Lowry was playing, because Kyle Lowry's not out for two weeks, the Raptors might start to struggle. But with Kyle Lowry in the court, with the way they've been playing so far, the Raptors are like the second best team in the Eastern Conference. Okay, and I, the reason I didn't have the Raptors making the playoffs was because I insanely underestimated the potential of Pascal Siakam as a first option. Yes. I watched him last year. I, I was like, man, this guy's really good, most improved, yada, yada, yada. But... I didn't understand that he was going to be an all NBA caliber player in the future. I don't mm-hmm. think I don't think he'll make an all NBA team this year. Although, you don't think he's going to be all NBA al- al- team? Although he could. I think he's going to be all NBA. Although he could. For sure. I, th- this season is telling me he, he should be. I, th- this season telling me he will be an all. He's on pace to be all NBA first team. I think. Yeah, I know, but he's not going to keep that up. I, you don't think you don't think he'll? Okay, even yeah, yeah. Be, I, so I, I, I amend my statement. As a top I, I, I fifteen my, guy, I league. amend my statement. I yes, I think he can make All NBA third team. I don't think he'll not make first or second. Team. Yes, that's that's more respectable. Okay, but this says to me like, oh my gosh, this guy's going to be an All NBA caliber player for the next five years. Yeah, which is great to see, especially because he's like making threes, which is terrifying. In, yeah. in a good way. Yeah. In a pleasantly surprising way. I mean, way. he was doing that from the corners last year. Yeah, but, but that's like, totally different than pull-up threes from the top of the key. Yeah. Totally different. And I guess I, I was saying that I did think he would be a, he would be a serviceable first option on a six-seed Raptors team this year. I was not expecting him to be the, the capable of being, like, the first option on a team that could make a deep playoff run. Right now, it's looking like that's exactly what he could be. Yeah. Um, all right. Our last pleasant surprise is Andrew Wiggins. Shout out to him. This has been great. Honestly, I haven't... I've been following the Timberwolves, but I haven't, like, watched full games of Timberwolves basketball. Yeah. However, I do watch... I do see Andrew Wiggins' clips pop pop up on my feed all the freaking time. And it's it's so great. And he's just... From Mm -hmm. what I can see, he's, like, been a shot maker for them. Like, I don't have the stats up right now. Like, if you pull him up, that would be wonderful. However... It's just, he's shooting mid-ranges, but he's shooting threes. There was that game where he hit three threes in a row in crunch time, and, and it, it, everyone seemed so happy for him. Jesus. And what? 24.7 points per game. Yeah. On like 46% from the field, 31% from three, 32% for three if the, we round up. The, the three-point per, percentage isn't like that great, but just, uh, like, he's averaging The efficiency 25. is still kind of low, but like, it's effective, a lot better. Effective field goal percentage, 51.1, like... I don't know, like uh, player efficiency rating nineteen point six. That like that's that's not the worst. Those, yeah, and, those are all above his career averages for sure. And, and like the, some of the criticism that he that he has been getting in the past of like stop settling for mid range and just like not attack trying. the basket or shoot threes, but like stop taking the worst shots in basketball. Like I think he's doing a better job of that for sure. 
Um, and it's more of like an attacking mentality. And I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say like Andrew Wiggins is now a good defender, but he seems to just have a pulse on the basketball court. And I think that mm-hmm. I don't know if that comes from the support that he's been getting or is a or like the support that he's getting is a result of that. But it seems like there's a new energy in Minnesota that yeah. I also called because like I'm a very big Carl Anthony Towns like leading the league in scoring. You didn't call Andrew Wiggins doing this though. I called the Timberwolves you... being good, being not bad. Yeah, being not bad. Okay. Yeah. Um, I respect and that. And I think that this is just it's very good to see for a franchise that has been horrible for so long. Yeah. Even, even with a top three center in the NBA, that <laughs> slid that, <laughs> slid that it in took there. me a second to notice. <laughs> slid that in there. We won't get into that <laughs> argument again, but. I he's only he's only shooting four point eight free throws per game, which is still a little bit low considering, like, the Air Canada moniker. Like, come on now, like, use that body, get like attack the basket. Uh, like his rookie season, he shot more free throws per game than that. Um, but like overall, whatever he's doing is like it's working for him. He's putting points up so. All right, that concludes our pleasant surprises for the first 10 or so games of the league. These might be overreactions. They might not be sustainable. However, it's this actually, is just it's more like, like... It's more like 8 for some teams, but yeah, 8 yeah, to 10 games. But this has just been very kind of shocking storylines and performances that like we weren't expecting as NBA fans for the most part, mm-hmm. except for you know, Malcolm Brogdon and Pascal Siakam, <laughs> respectively. <laughs> um, but it's just... It's interesting, and I'm very excited to see. Maybe we'll do this again, like halfway through the season or something yeah, like yeah. that, to see what kind of happens with this. But now onto our red flags. Uh oh. Okay, so as we said, what we mean by red flag is this is concerning. Something needs to change, and maybe like there's an overreaction here that one of us might give. <laughs> we, we might jump to a conclusion. For example, is Chris Paul washed? <laughs> it's Chris Paul Wash. Okay, well, like re- read the stats if you have them. But like, I'll pull them up. I, okay, but I know the main storyline is, hey, Chris Paul is not averaging a lot of assists, and Chris Paul, what does he do best? He passes yes. the ball, and he, uh, I, I know I read somewhere that he is the worst assist to turn turnover yeah, ratio. Yeah, I, of I his pulled career. that up for the notes. The uh, he's averaging five point two assists per game and two point six turnovers. Which means that his assist to turnover is two to, turnover ratio is two to one. For a frame of reference, like the most turnover he's averaged for a season is three. In that season, he averaged eleven assists. That so was... like he's averaging almost as many turnovers as a season where he averaged more than twice as many assists as he's getting right now. Yeah. So so that's a significant significant decrease stats wise in 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 Chris Paul's passing like passing numbers. And so is Chris Paul washed? I think the answer is like. A little bit, especially given his contract. And I feel like mm-hmm. pe- people uh, misassociate a player's contract with their production. But I think that it, it, as a as an NBA fan and as just like a someone who looks at things from like a general manager's perspective, yeah, it makes me devalue him even more for the fact that like he's not he, he's he's getting paid like forty million dollars a year, and he's not the best point guard on his team. Shea Gilgis Alexander is <laughs> averaging like twenty two points per game. <laughs> That's it's true. That's crazy. That's crazy. Shea Gilgeous. I, I, I can't even disagree with it. He's like getting, Shea's being paid like three point five million dollars a year. That's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean it's kind of facts too. Like, so is Chris Paul washed? I think that if somehow he gets traded midseason to like that the Miami Heat or something, is he even better than Goran Dragic? And, and, and do the Heat even want to trade for him? Like no, I keep seeing no, that okay, name. Now he's trade. he's not getting traded. Like, like he's you stuck keep, on I keep OKC. seeing this in like like YouTube thumbnails like top five trades that will happen this NBA season. And it's like Chris Paul in a Heat uniform. Especially and if, I, I do think the Heat that, want to do that? I, no. no I, I, I'm, I I'm think, not. Like, I think especially his poor, his worse performance than usual makes it so much even less likely that he's going to get traded. Because if mm-hmm. you if you uh, are Chris Paul and you come out, out the gates super strong, then all of a sudden your value is more close to what you're being paid but now it's even less so, so it's less desirable for a team. It would have to be like some sort of salary dump where like the where OKC goes all in, but they're not going to. So they, they know this just doesn't make sense. 
you might get bought out, but I don't even know why that would happen. Like, like you can't buy out a player for like thirty-five million dollars. Like that's not a, that's, that's not a thing. They're not gonna buy him out. Like, he's too legendary. He's too, he's a Hall of Fame player. Mello got bought out. Mello got bought out. But Mello was different because he'd been he'd been passed around four times or whatever. You know, like <laughs> I don't I don't know. It's just like it's disappointing to see Chris Paul's career is probably gonna end with this contract and where you would have liked to see Chris Paul maybe like finish his career as somebody who's like coming off the bench being like or, six or, seventh man or on, like, win a, NBA championship yeah, or like they do something productive like no team in the next couple of years is going to want to like pick up Chris Paul's contract for him to come off the bench and be a passer and keep in I, mind like, this this like super max for a player his age is new and yeah. Chris Paul who's the head of the NBA, NBA Players, Players Association, Association, he kind of negotiated this contract. So I, I think at the end of the day, players are still going to take money over like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to get traded to a mm-hmm. championship contender. But I think it's it's a very immediate effect that if you're an old player who gets a contract that is maybe too favorable for you, then you're going to be stuck in a bad team. And I guess that takes away from your legacy and pedigree and just overall sort of respect around the league. Yeah, I guess I'm not saying people did, like don't respect Chris Paul as much, but like because their career, it's like, just Chris it's, Paul's it's career everyone see, respects. But like right now, it's like okay, he's a, he's not the best player. It's sad to see own. Chris Paul turning into one of the worst contracts in the league when he is the worst contract in the league. Like he's yeah, worse than John Wall when when he is legitimately one of the probably five best point guards ever. Like okay, that's a, we can talk uh, about like, that in a like, later. I episode. think he probably is. Um, so. <laughs> It's, it, it's tough. Like, he's not the best point guard on his team. Like, like point guard Chris Paul is, like, not is, is worse of a point guard on a team that's not going to make the playoffs. Yeah. All right. Cam Reddish. I, I put this on our list. Red flag Cam Reddish. I think Cam Reddish is already a bust. I, and I hate to jump to conclusions, but, like, if we're talking about what we see from the first 10 games of the season, Cam Reddish is a bust. It's the, I don't. It's the way it is. I don't think it's. I don't think it's fair to say that Cam Reddish is already a bust. It's fair to say that all signs point to, or that it is a red flag based on his first ten games that Cam Reddish will be a bust. But I don't think that you can call any player like currently a bust until they've been in the league for three, four years. No, obviously, you have to give what, them time okay, to develop. But, right? What you said is like okay. Obviously, that's what we're doing. It's a red yeah. flag. But like, if if we're just going like, if I had to bet. I'm saying Cam Reddish, Cam Reddish is a bust. And no uh-huh. no player can be a bust after 10 games because, like, Zion's not a bust, even though after 10 games he hasn't, like, scored in the league. But just from what I see, the talent level of Cam Reddish, I'm writing him off as a bust if if you make me, like, decide. And okay. I, I feel like I'm, in, I'm obligated to make a decision on this because it is so alarming and it is such a red flag how inefficient he's been, how much he's not making his shots. How much he's not being able to create out the dribble, how much, how many turnovers he's having, and how not contributing to winning basketball he has been. Less than twenty five percent from the field, twenty four. That's 6. atrocious. That is horrible. And I feel like it's it's a minor storyline to leap. I feel like this should be a bit bigger deal considering how much hype Duke got last year. And and like Cam Reddish was legitimately before he, before his year at Duke was like in conversation to be the first overall pick. Yeah, I think it's also important to note that before this year started when they pulled the rookies they asked like which rookie is going to have the best career the vote went to cam reddish not zion not rj not john Morant, not you know tyler hero or kendrick nunn or not not any of those guys but the cam reddish and he might be the most disappointing rookie in the league right now it's an issue of you have a guy who is supposed to be a shooter but he's not that good of a shooter and then he's not like even like that good of a defender and he doesn't really he doesn't really have that he can't really create his own shot that well and be like efficient with it and so it it gives me very large Ben Macklemore vibes <laughs> okay which like Ben Macklemore like barely has a job right now yeah yeah all right the kings the kings are horrible but sure like uh, obviously everyone can point to like that's a red flag the kings are probably going to be horrible for this year maybe but my red flag is luke walton is a bad coach i've been i've been on this bandwagon for a while 
we definitely mentioned this in the last episode. Um, it it mostly comes down to his the, the pace he's running their offense at, which is like, why when you have De'Aaron Fox, are you moving in slow motion? Are you like waiting to like set up the offense, like? Run, like run, move, use the fast break to your advantage when you have maybe the fastest player in the league running your offense. It just doesn't make sense to have such a young, like high firepower, exciting team that was nearly a playoff team last year as like a high, like high fast paced team be one, be like very slow and like, like why change up what worked, even though they fired their coach and hired Luke Walton, like clearly they're expecting Luke Walton to make some sort of change. I don't think the pace is the right thing to change. I think that's that's why the, the the Kings were so dangerous last year. Yeah, that's the only real reason they were good, besides obviously like the talent of of Buddy Heald and uh, De'Aaron Fox. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that also stems from the system. Yeah, and obviously they're good, but just like that being like a product of the system, it's the system caters to them. Why are you switching up the the like the primary element of your system that catered to them? Mm-hmm. Change, change different like different things. Say like, oh, we're gonna penetrate more, or, yep. or we're gonna shoot more, whatever. But like, the one most favorable attribute, like like why would you get rid of that? And I feel like if you're an NBA coach and you've been an NBA coach for a few years, you have to know that. And if you don't, then you're a bad coach. And I think 10 games into the season, is Luke Don- is Luke Walton even a decent NBA coach? I mean, the, the Lakers weren't good. I understand their defense were okay for was okay for the past few years, but, like, no. Like, <laughs> no. All right. The Trailblazers. I want to talk about this a little bit. The issue, like, they're 4-6 and six right now, and they're tied for the 10th seed, and obviously everyone's tied for whatever seed because it's 10 games in. But... They do not look good, and they don't look energetic, and they don't look like the Trailblazers from last year. I watch a good amount of Trailblazers clips. They're one of my favorite teams. And I watched Damian Lillard drop the sexiest 60 points of all time, <laughs> and the Blazers did not care, and they lost. Two things. One, they, they were not really hype about it. It was just like, oh, whatever. Uh-huh. And two, they, they lost when Damian Lillard dropped 60. I don't, like, when was the last time, besides, like, Devin Booker's sons that, like, sucked, did a player drop 60 and they and they lost? If there were if there were three teams in the league that you root for the most, it would be, in order, the Knicks, Warriors, then Trailblazers. Yes. Correct? Yes. And so I guess I sort of have to rely on you for this one to explain, like, what is going on that a team that was in the Western Conference last year or West Conference Finals last year, like, doesn't even seem to want it that much. It's zero depth. It's zero depth. Because you have the loss of a few people. Mm-hmm. Myers Leonard at the big position. Alfred Aminu. Uh, Alfred Aminu and Mo Harkless. And Zach and Collins had shoulder yes, injury. I was about to say, shoulder Zach surgery. Collins has a shoulder injury. So you lose all these guys. Oh, and and Seth Curry as well. So you, you lose all these players on the wing and at the forward position, and at the center position, and really all you're doing to, um, again, go back to Funky Diabetic, is... You're, oh, and Yusuf Nurkic. Yes. I mean... He's still not back. Yeah, so. that's kind of been like... A, that's been the case for a while. That's not a difference from yeah. last year, but that would certainly help. Yeah, and uh, right now, they like lack so much depth that they are one Hassan Whiteside angle tweak away from just not having any bigs like whatsoever like that's like, like they, they were playing Nasir Little uh in his first NBA game just like because they needed him he he didn't play the first eight games because they just I don't know he just like wasn't good enough yet uh-huh. and then because of injury they had to they had to bring him in and play him 25 minutes and he got like constantly attacked on defense like he, he wasn't horrible like, casually playing the center yeah and they're they're relying <laughs> so much on like Rodney Hood plus like Damon CJ uh-huh. and there's just kind of no offense if you go down the line be it, like aside from like the top two mm-hmm. or three guys and it's just, Zach Collins is injured that hurts too and it's just you don't have enough enough depth so where like even if your starting lineup is good you cannot continue that I guess I, I saw I've been seeing some like I forget where I saw but it was a report that basically said that the the Trailblazers were purposefully going to be very active in the trade market this year that especially like by the deadline they're going to be trying to make big moves. I, I is, fully support this. Is Kevin Love, for example, like the solution to their problems? No. I think it's... This is always easy to say, but they need to trade for like good role players. 
and who those role players who are. Who would that be? Yeah, yeah I, I have no idea. But I think you can use it if on the Blazers because Dame is getting older. I would use a first round pick or two. I mean, because I, Dame is getting older, you use a first round pick because isn't that the time intuitive? Is, no, because the time is now. All right, just just because like you're not gonna have this forever. I guess I guess that makes sense. It's like okay, you gotta commit, you gotta commit, yes. or like, or like blow it up. But at the same time, like if he's getting older, you gotta balance like being good now with like not giving away everything you have for the future. Like you don't want to trade five first round picks. No, I'm, for, I'm like, saying like this year's or next year's. Yeah, and, okay. And, like to to get like a a better supporting cast, get like mm-hmm. Seth Curry type of players, just guys who could shoot. Um, just maybe like Mo Harkless type of guys, just who kind of defend, and I mean th- that's kind of the, the like problem solution for the Blazers, in my opinion. Just because right now it does look like a red flag. All right. So Jokic's numbers—they've been this looking not not good, <laughs> not hot. Like sixteen point seven points per game, nine point three rebounds per game, and six point zero assists per game. Not that's certainly that, that's not your the, MVP. Certainly not the that, MVP numbers that I called for for Jokic this year. The thing, I guess, this is I put this on the list as sort of like a red flag that shouldn't be that much of a red flag because it's a red flag to me, as in like I put my like verbal money on on Nikola Jokic should be good this your year. Your verbal currency, yes. <laughs> but at the same time, like everybody take a chill pill. The Nuggets are seven and two. Like, but my thing is, are the Nuggets seven and two, and Jokic has not been playing that well for Jokic? Does that kind of cut into Jokic's value? Because like I remember we were talking about like best turns in mm-hmm. the NBA, and you were like, Jokic has the wins; he impacts for all these wins. And it's like, okay, Jokic is playing subpar compared to normal Jokic, and they're still getting sev- all these wins. I don't think that that's a fair argument because. There's some truth to the idea that like Jokic doesn't have to drop 25 points per game for the for the Nuggets to be like one of the best teams in the Western Conference. There's like I, I just think that it's like it's more than anything. I would say that his impact goes a lot deeper than just what shows him the stat sheet. Like even if he doesn't get the assist or he doesn't get like the points, he's the one that grabs the rebound and starts everything. And so even if even if the play doesn't end with him, it almost always begins with him. And so even if it's like Jamal Murray who's going out and having a huge game that ends up being like the stat line that that is like the highlight of the of the Nuggets win. I haven't watched all of the Nuggets games, like being honest, but I'm willing to bet that a lot of what Jamal Murray did that game started with Jokic even if it even though it's it the end result is coming from Jamal Murray okay but just like it's I don't think all the wins can correlate him expect with him. No, no, no no especially no. if of course especially if you it takes a team he, to go I, seven and two I, I, in a western I, I, conference obviously but I'm, I'm saying like even like you can like put that all on his passing you you have to understand that Jokic he's been averaging like below average points and below, below average points and, for him for him and below average efficiency for him compared to last year, yeah. and they're still doing the same. I also think that his last two three games have been better than the first okay. five yeah. before he, that. Okay, you also like, said something. I think he's on I, an okay, upward I, I trend. I want to talk about this because I, I said also, he. Uh, his, you, you sent something to the chat talking about like how Jokic has hit like two buzzer beaters against the other two centers, uh-huh. like top centers in the league. And I responded with a fit of rage and a rant, and you have not opened it yet. I I wasn't the one who sent that, but I was that made me happy. It was yes. it was in the last two games. Nicole Yoga just hit game winners against the the Sixers and the, uh, and Timberwolves. the Timberwolves. So over essentially um, Embiid and Cat. Yeah, and so here's as the, like the ultimate statement okay. of like yes. here I am as okay. better than the okay. two of you. But he, here's the deal. First, let's talk about the game with the 76ers. Mm-hmm. He, just going back to my thing that he doesn't have, like, the killer mentality. That's what I hate about, like, Skip Bayless and Stephen A and just all the other guys on TV. They're, they're like, they, they use... break things down into character when, like, in, like, the heart of the game where it's, like, that's not really what it's about. Uh-huh. But in terms of Jokic being a top player in the league, 
Like, I can throw the ball to Embiid, and he's going to give me a bucket. Whereas, like, Jokic, there was four seconds left, and he was dribbling, and there, there were three seconds left, and he was trying he, and he was trying to dump the ball off to, like, Torrey Craig in the paint with three seconds left to try to get, like, this weird layup thing where I'm like, my guy, you're the best player on the team. Mm-hmm. Go get a bucket. Don't pass into, like, the weird paint, like, with three seconds left. That just by chance and deflection, you happen to get the ball and hit a fadeaway jump shot as time expires. And then the second one, yeah, good shot. Okay. First, um, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, sure. First, like the Timberwolves went on on a sixteen to zero run, like to end the fourth quarter to mm-hmm. like get to that point. So I'm like, how can you really let that happen? Can you picture Joel Embiid or like Giannis or someone just letting a team come back like sixteen points straight just to tie the game for you, like as time expires? And also, I think that could happen and to all, anybody. And, and I... all, okay, and and also he had like a horrible game. He shot like nine for like twenty three from the field, mm-hmm. and it just like. Like completely inefficient. I'm pretty sure he had a bunch of turnovers too. And if you look at his like stats, like his field goal percentage is like 45, which for a big man is awful. And I understand he's like not the normal big man, but it's just like that's pretty bad. And his effective field goal percentage this year has been like extremely down. It's like 48, where like the last few years it's been like 55. And so for this, it's like this is very disappointing and a bit of a red flag for me, especially as just Jokic is supposed to be this MVP candidate, according to you and according to a lot of people. And for me, it's just, it's not there. This season, he has not been and the MVP, all, and, MVP candidate I expected him to be. But to, like, really compare him based on the same expectations as Carlton Towns, Joel Embiid, where it's like, you want him to be able to, like, th- you, want be, you want to be able to throw it to him in the paint and for him to, like, go get the bucket. I don't think that's really his game, right? And, like, is he capable of doing that? Yes. Should he probably do that more often? Yes. But, like... For him to be looking to make the pass to a guy that has a better shot than him, potentially. But he, the, the guy that he passed who didn't have a better shot than him. I think if the pass had gotten through, the pa- it would have been a better the, shot the than pass, him. The pass got through. It was just the guy that he passed who was doubled inside the paint. It, it just wasn't a good look. He doubled, but then like you know, he didn't get it back out. To, yes. Like, he created an opportunity where the defense had to collapse. So I actually don't... I'd have to rewatch the clip. I don't think that, like... I'm going to guess that that wasn't like, a bad pass just knowing Jokic's, like, basketball IQ. But, like, should he probably have a little bit more, like, heart and is, is in, like, in the last few minutes, like, demand the ball and demand the shot and be like, I'm going to take over? Yeah, maybe. But at the same time, like, that's not really who Jokic is. And so you have to, you have to, I guess, sort of, like, watch him knowing that. And if you watch him expecting him to be something else, you're going to be disappointed. Okay, and I, I understand where you're coming from. However, I also think that the red flag here is I think that this will hurt them in the playoffs because the playoffs, it's all about who can you go to in crunch time because the two teams are probably evenly matched and every game's going to be close. And I think that... But but I think that if, if it does hurt them in the playoffs, that's less on Jokic and more on the front office because, it's then, because then it becomes... Why didn't you build a team that is more suited to Jokic's style of play, but, knowing knowing after like four years that, that he's not going to be the guy to take the last shot? So why didn't they, you go they, out and get guys? But, but Jamal that you're Murray is a with? scoring guard. Okay, but then if you really want to be making a deep playoff team, then the front office has to be fully betting on Jamal Murray, and the coach, the coaching staff has to be fully betting on Jamal Murray to be the guy who's going to make that last shot. And they they paid and him in like that it. case, and in that case, then you can't discredit Jokic for not making that shot. Because you just paid Jamal Murray and you're just you just signed him for the purpose of being the guy to make that last shot. But then is Jokic really your best player? He's still your best player because there's a difference between being a best player and being a closer. Does, yeah, does the best I, player necessarily have to be a closer? No. Are most best players closers? Yes. But at the same time, like there's never been an NBA big man that's like Joel Embiid. You mean like Jokic? Or, uh, yeah, that's like Nikola Jokic. And so... At the same time, like, Joel Embiid wasn't the closer for the Sixers last year. That was a very small sample size, and still... Was Carlton Towns the closer for the for the Timberwolves? Like, definitely. I have to they're make, not in enough close. They, they're they, not in they, enough they, close games for it to really see, and 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 I think that this year think, it would be Andrew Wiggins. Well, yeah, I was I was about to say this year Andrew Wiggins has stepped up. I still think so. That, I don't. I just in, don't in think a, that. I think I still think that in a normal scenario, Cat does get the ball though. But I don't think that in an average scenario. 
you're giving the ball to a big man. In today's NBA, you're giving the ball to a big man as your closer. You're more likely to give it to a guy like Jimmy Butler or Kyrie Irving or like even like a Tyler Hero who's going to be the guy that's going to hit like that sidestep three or is going to like be able to do a lot of things out of getting the ball. And I think that when you give Nikola Jokic the ball in the last you know few seconds of the game, you give it to him because he can take his shot or he can just or or he's your best passer so you can create a shot for somebody else. So because everything on, on the offensive end runs through Jokic, giving him the ball the ball at the end of the game makes sense as long as you're expecting him to continue to run everything, but not necessarily doing that while scoring. Because in the rest of the game, Nikola Jokic is given the ball, not necessarily with the expectation of scoring, but with the expectation of creating a basket. So giving him the ball at the end of the game, you probably give it to him with that same expectation. That's a very like roundabout way of trying to justify what you're saying, which does have some truth to it. Yeah. Um, and but I'm I'm trying to defend my boy. You're revoking the red flag. I threw I threw the red flag. You're you're revoking it. There's a red flag in that Jokic isn't playing as well as he I thought he would. Are there any There's implications also, for this? What are there any impacts implications for for this poor play? My argument would be that like. Until they start losing games, not really. Okay. Fine. I guess there's we'll go very quickly. The the Sixers lost have lost two in a row. I don't think it matters. They started off six and zero. I don't. Or, think or sorry, they lost they lost three in a row actually because they started off six and zero. Um, the last two games have been without Ben Simmons. So the red flag might be, I guess, in this case that. There's been arguments in the past that you should you should get rid of Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid because they don't play well together. This is starting to indicate to me that when you don't have Ben Simmons, who most people probably say is actually worse than Joel Embiid, like even when you don't have Ben Simmons, the team is, is struggling. Um, and so, again, very small sample size, but if we're just talking about red flags, I think this is one, which is that you need both of them to win games as the, as the 76ers. Yeah, I mean, but who did they lose to? They lost to the Nuggets and they lost to the Jazz. Those mm-hmm. are, those are two top seven, eight, nine, ten teams in the league. Yeah. So like that's not that alarm. And they were but, and they lost by a combined score of like five points. But if the but if the Sixers are really going to be the best team in the Eastern Conference, which a lot of people were expecting them to be, they're going to have to beat teams of that caliber. Well, but if people are saying trade Ben Simmons, you're probably getting some value comparable to ben simmons in return this this is like they're trading ben simmons away for nothing yeah so like yeah okay true they they have an injured player that's a disadvantage i don't think there's a story behind this fair enough um all right thank you so much for listening to this episode of space the floor nba podcast we hope you enjoyed if you're listening on youtube like and subscribe and if you're listening on apple Podcasts, leave a review we'd really appreciate it Follow us on Instagram at Space of the Floor Podcast and on Twitter at Space of the Floor. And thank you for watching. My name is Connor Gillen. And I'm Connor Flannery. And see you next time. Peace. Shout out to Dion Waiter's drug dealer.